0: Sport. Ah, what is it good for? Absolutely replacing war, folks. But that's not the tall story I shall tell today. I talk here of my battle on the field of sporting play. I shall now attempt to put a positive spin onto the biggest pain of my life imposed by structures, first of the education system other than education, and then that imposed by my employment. I hated sport. I have always hated sport, and not just because, as you may partly rightly assume, I could never do any of it. Although that is a very good reason. No, from time to time, I, a self-observed, larger-than-average-sized child, ate stone at eight years old, from time to time, was quite good at catching and throwing things. If a sport called for a small object, hand-sized, to be thrown or indeed may be caught, then as long as it was projected with the help of another infant in the playground, I was your eventually-to-be man. The ability did not come easily, however. Oh no. First of all, I had to develop an ability to see depth. Perception of depth is a handy ability when it comes to determining the distance of round projectiles or even cars, but very few cars were moving in my playground memories, so balls it was that I had to measure the distance to, and at speed. My eyes seldom pointed in the same direction as a preschool youth, and so for quite a time I squinted at the world, and my brain found it hard to gain full grasp of stereoscopy. By my school years, though, the damage was done, but the squint had gone, and glasses were no longer essential. Being a primary school, my eventual classmates were of both sexes. We only had two back then. They were nearly all white and certainly all Christian. The task of catching or indeed hitting a ball in such circumstances was therefore not a great one. But I couldn't do it. I think I know why. Not only were depth and speed and distance an issue to me, but also, more importantly, I didn't want to.' Further, even though I was considerably less weighty than I am today, the idea of running in order to get to a position in which I could catch or hit a ball was just too much to bother with. So what? No problem, I thought. Team building? Why? Class or group points? Do me a favour. Personal growth? I was well on the way to being 12 stone at 12, so I didn't need much more fueling for growth. No reason equated to no interest and so led inexorably to no running. If a sporting missile wasn't on target, I for one was not going to get in the way of it. Hitty things hurt, and I've always been averse to pain. No pain, no gain. Even back then, clearly meant to me that gain was a thing to be avoided too, obviously. But one day I was accidentally in the right position in the playground for my native skill to show itself for the first time. I had been trained sufficiently by my father in the art of standing still catch. I remember now that my major difficulty came from trying to catch a hand-sized ball with two hands at once. Which one should I use? By the time I had made a choice, bending down was required another motion of which I was no fan. It looked as if I was not really bothering, which I wasn't, if I only used one hand to catch a ball. So I always used two and never caught anything. I'm not sure when I gave up trying, but it was then that with my conscious brain detached that I held on to my first catch with one hand. At school we played rounders, a game that required both throwing and hitting balls. The space for the game was limited and our teacher, Miss Janice C. Cutmore, had made a rule that if a ball was hit and which then bounced off that wall, the hitter could only be called out if the catcher used just one hand. She presumed the use of one hand was harder and she was wrong when it came to me. On that one specially positioned day, everything came together for me to catch out a player and win a point for my team and everlasting honour for myself. With one hand, joy, oh bliss, I was a sporting legend in my own playtime. This was not the only infantile example of my inherent sporting mastery, oh no. In football I also excelled twice Initially, totally by accident. Being a non runner, my football position was goalkeeper. Okay, I did have to move a bit, but when no one was watching me, which was most of the time, I could move the piles of jumpers closer together and thus reduce any required movement should a ball drift in my direction. Occasionally, though, the ball came at me rather fast. What should I do? Duck! I was an inexperienced ducker, too. I felt, in a brief moment of unconscious thought, that bending at the knees would offer insufficient duckage for total ball avoidance, so I bent at the hip. But to keep my balance, I stuck one leg out behind me. This leg bent the way knees do, and the base of my foot was presented to the oncoming ball, which I kicked. Stunned consternation from all onlookers, An overhead kick. Who had ever seen the like? I stood back up, having exerted myself hardly at all, and took all the massed wonderment in my stationary stride. I could never do it again, and only tried once more. My other footballing mastery moment used considerably more effort and actual premeditation. On that occasion, I was cast as a defender. I was told my job was to stop other players running towards me while they kicked a ball in front of them. The word used was tackle. Definition was assumed to be general knowledge. It may have been, but I generally had little knowledge of anything, and so that nugget was not available to me. "'I suppose he should be called an attacker,' it was a he, "'for this was senior school now, where only one sex existed "'and religion was still singular and colour was not an option. "'He came towards me at speed and with a ball at his feet. "'What was I to do?' "'I was keeping my age level with my weight in stone "'and so I could summon up quite a bit of kinetic energy "'while moving even slowly.' Thus I found the amount was enough to knock both of us to the grass when I collided with him. Defence achieved. Ball no longer at his feet. I had no idea it was, and cared less as I was stunned as much by the fact that the ball had gone as by the impact that had lost it. The other boy looked at me bewildered that I could have done such a thing. I don't think he'd ever been tackled in that way before. I never needed to repeat the technique as I found a wonderful way to avoid football altogether, of which more later. For me, the word sport meant a thing that had gone wrong in the development of something. The horticultural meaning felt just right to me as it fitted my emotional reaction to any sort of team game. There were other sports, even more dangerous ones, cricket and rugby, Cricket was not all bad, really. I got lots of time to sit on the grass, eat a few strands of it, and look at the trees while people ran around in the distance. From time to time, however, I had to take a stance as a batsman. My grandfather had told me that he would buy me my first bat when I scored my first 50. He was a registered football referee and headmaster, and was good at games. I loved him and he loved me, but... He had not grasped my dislike of any beautiful game. He may have got the wrong impression of me in 1964 when I watched a football match on the massive school TV. His school was on summer holiday and was thus free of students, and so the entire school's equipment was mine to play with in their absence. I got the TV all to myself. I loved that telly. It was kept in a room in the house where my generation of family came to visit in the academic downtime. On at least one year, the school was still inhabited at the start of my visit and I could look out at the children from my bedroom window in the headmaster's house. That scared them something rotten. But that fun aside, having the telly all to myself was a victory over all children of my age and one that I would revel in no matter what was on the programme. It was a Football World Cup, and people on the show were excited about it. I knew the Germans were the baddies, and I could occasionally work out which way they were trying to kick the ball, and I also noticed that the TV people got very excited when one side scored, and eventually one of them said they thought it was all over, so I assumed, I think with good support from the displayed score line, that we had beaten them. I felt... I should share this revelation with my family and said we won or something. This was taken as reason to think that I both knew what was going on and cared about the result when in fact I was simply sharing the exaltation expected from me or any TV viewer or so I inferred from the show. I did not get to play cricket for a good decade after that however. I was not sure if my grandfather ever knew I was not one of the sporting greats, nor that I knew nothing of any that were, but I was encouraged by his offer of a bat to attempt to not be shit at cricket. I was further motivated to not get a golden duck by the tormenting of Stephen Andrews, a lad of my age in my class, but not of my liking, nor me of his. I really disliked that boy. I think he needed someone to be better at everything than. And I was his chosen also runner. I may at some point list all our confrontations, which are still firm in my memory. but for this story, all I need to say is that he got out second ball, I think, and I scored 11. Not out. I am still not out to this day having never played since. Not enough for a gift bat, but more than enough to flatten a bully. Winter came every year in my childhood. It used to get colder back then, from October until about March. Hard to believe today, I don't know, but it was true. I even remember snow on days that we were expected to run around in a field. My senior school did not have its own field nearby, so we were required to catch a coach to get us to one. I remember a very satisfying event that took place in the queue for the coach. I considered that to be a sporting event in itself, the shot put. A lad, put upon by many others, decided I was on a rung lower than himself and so I became his safe target of social revenge. He tried to steal my massive school case. We all had bulging leather briefcases, flat bottoms snapped together at the top with a hinge to open the gaping entry wide enough to accept masses of textbooks and in my case, maybe one or two writing books as well. These cases were both expensive, essential for class, and heavy. That's three things, but I wasn't good at maths either. If your case was lost, then so were you. Life would be over in some unspecified way. The threat was very real, though, and so cases were sacrosanct possessions. He tried to take mine, he failed. I was bigger than him, and most of my classmates thought of me as a swot, despite my utterly pathetic academic record. So was fair and easy game, he believed. He was shocked to find that I resisted his attempt with great ease. So was I. I followed up my unexpected defence of my precious property by launching it at him, shot-put style. It landed squarely between his shoulders as he ran away. I sauntered up to my case and relaunched it at him again, catching him squarely, this time on his foot. The entire queue was witness to this altercation. I had no further dealing with him. I don't know how it may have affected his emotional development. And I don't care. When we eventually caught the coach... For some reason, was often with a teacher we didn't know, and more to the point, neither knew nor cared about us. After a few weeks of putting on my rugby kit and being shouted at in the cold, I realised two things. One, that I could very easily claim illness, and two, no register was ever called. A few weeks of sickness gave me the chance to develop a plan one that could indeed be called cunning, because it needed no thinking whatsoever to master or achieve. The school only had interest in a one-way trip to the playing field. The coach disappeared as soon as we got off it. We were then left to make our own way home at the end of the day. Slowly I realised this end-of-day time was also not fixed. Also, if I was not noticed as being missing from the on-field team, I ceased to exist totally and so could leave whenever I wished. So I did. Initially, I was very scared to do this, as I was playing truant effectively, but I could and did reason that this was also a game and thus a sport, and I became quite good at it. Quite soon, my guilt left me, and I could see clearly that on the games day afternoon, as no record was kept, I could avoid the entire process and simply go home at lunchtime and not even catch the coach. And so I did for the rest of my school life sentence. You would think, as I did and as I hoped, that the end of school would also spend the end of forced sport. But no... After two years of sport-free life, working for a technical arm with the post office, I joined the BBC Television Recording Department. This was the bit that had videotape recorders the size of a small car on its side. You needed two of them to ensure a tape recording could be safely created, but as everyone who worked in Telrec became engineering trained, I never knew a single machine to fail, but that is another story. This one continues with the hell known as Grandstand. This iconic and flagship BBC production was the bane of my life, but the highlight of that of seemingly everyone I worked with. Sporting greats of all types came down to the basement at Television Centre to work with us on the production of the sports shows. I was good at my job, talented, skilled and diligent. These attributes, though, were taken as the baseline for keeping your employment at the Beeb, and so I was expected, and was also quite capable, of doing almost any of the technical things required for the show, which was mostly live. I always ignored the greats, and they sort of looked at me as if I was shunning them, which wasn't the case, I just didn't know who they were. I worked there for ten years... In that time, VTRs got smaller and more capable and the skills of engineers became less and less frequently necessary to keep the show on the air. Artistry was also called for. The ability to know when to record, when to mark a point in the sporting action, who the heck was doing what on earth they were supposed to do. I could do and did do too, but I didn't care less. I could queue up and deliver a slow-motion action replay with the best of them, but I seldom smiled at the sporting majesty that held the rest of the staff enthralled. People noticed. I was not liked, or at least didn't fit in. No option existed for me to bash, throw, or run away from this. I was being paid, after all, and the entire country that did care was watching And I cared for them, and for my professionalism. I took it seriously. Everyone else, though, was having fun, as well as being professional. Eventually, I was moved away from grandstand as I cast a pall over the festivities. I was free to listen to Radio 3 in my cubicle, while I waited to press the go button to transmit a trailer for the next programme, or maybe transmit the next programme itself. If you saw television on the BBC between 1978 and 1990 or thereabouts, you will have seen my work. I am proud of this and even of my sporting efforts.